I have trouble with the term ethical porn, and I much prefer ethically produced porn. And I know a lot of companies, even companies that I've worked for, like use the term, we are ethical porn. I feel sometimes that that feels a little bit of a marketing term. human and welcome to that's exciting the podcast today we will be exploring the topic of pornography specifically what is ethically produced pornography let's start with a few questions do you consume porn and when i say consume is watching or listening to porn got your answer All right, do you know who produced the content that you are consuming? What is your definition of ethical porn? What's the difference between ethical and ethically produced porn? These are all questions that will be explored today with adult performer Mickey Mod. Bay Area sex worker, Mickey Mod has been a performer, director, producer, software engineer in the adult entertainment industry for almost 15 years. His work crosses many genres from BDSM to mainstream and has been nominated for several XBs and AVN awards and serves as a board member for APAC, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, Adult Performer Advocacy Committee, founding member of Collective Corruption and committed to destigmatizing sex and sex work. I really enjoyed today's conversation with Mickey and we talked about the difference between ethical and ethically produced pornography, the history of pornography and also the impact that porn had on Mickey's intimacy. I know that I've learned a lot from this conversation and I hope that you too and on this note, enjoy today's episode. Hi, Mickey. Hi. How's it going, Nancy? Thanks for having me. Thank you. And welcome to That's Exciting, the podcast. The first question I, I like to get into now, it's a, an interesting angle because today we have an adult performer. So what are sexual green flags that you have on set? So how do you evaluate chemistry with a colleague? For the new listeners, sexual green flags are indicators that you'll have pleasurable, consensual and safe sex. You know, I've been in the industry almost 15 years, so I feel when I get opportunities for work, I usually know who I'm working with at the point of booking, which, I mean, I feel like it, that should be how things should work for porn, adult film, like bookings, like you should know, like, hey, I'm thinking about pairing you with this person. What do you think of that? Generally, that should be kind of like the point where I'm like, I'm feeling this person or I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's my buddy. I've worked with him like a ton of times. I would love to do that scene. So I I don't generally have a potential chemistry assessment other than if it's someone that I don't know, but I've kind of like seen their work. Mm -hmm. We do our research, right? Like, you know that you're kind of creating this performance. You're looking at different things. You're like, does this person have energy in a way that complements my energy or trying to get a sense of the variety of work that they've done and where it will coalesce for this particular project that you're working on? You know, when it's people that I've 
worked with before, I, I generally like saying yes because there's natural chemistry or kind of like ease of you're going to spend a lot of time with people in a very vulnerable way. It's not relationship or hookup type sex where relationship dynamics or emotional dynamics, a lot of anticipation of like, how will my relationship fare if we do this? Or let me kind of like not dump the freak bag on the bed right away. Let me like space it out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, generally when I'm working with someone I've worked with before, there's this sort of like established sort of dialogue. Mm-hmm. So yeah. those are always like really easy days. You've mentioned that usually production have your scene partner in mind. Are you involved in a process of I'd like to work with this person? Um, Yes and no. I, mean, I think it kind of depends. I think generally cis male performers, it's generally you're kind of added on to the scene last. So you usually have someone who's mm-hmm. booked ahead of you. Okay. There are times depending on the company where like, oh, I have this idea. I want to put like you and, and this person together. Like, does that work for you? Also, like scheduling is, is often a thing. And if you know, that project is like, oh, I really need to have like this person in this role because I think this is going to like absolutely like make the narrative work. Or sometimes it's like, hey, it would be great to have you. This person's only available that day. Is that going to work? Oh, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I can put you with so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, and, and then there's also the kind of like content creator style of content. Only fans. This is the like fan centro, like all of these direct to consumer platforms. Mm-hmm. More and more, you're seeing performers work with people that you know they genuinely want to work with mm-hmm. rather than like this person sells well based on like the the numbers that we're getting from our our site mm-hmm. i think people are making content all over now not just traditional like hubs of like la and las vegas and in miami you know people are like oh well like yeah my friend never wanted to go and do the whole la porn thing but they're here in the city where i live and like we like hooking up anyway so we're gonna make a bunch of content together so you know i think that's what's kind of really great about where things are at right now yeah i think also there's been a a huge growth into amateur porn as well and just knowing that you support the people you like and having content that represents either your sexuality your ethnicity and all that stuff so i think it's more accessible with OnlyFans to have that representation. I know for myself, consuming content on OnlyFans is where I find more pleasure because I can see people that look like me. Yeah, I I think that's the really amazing thing about where adult content is at right now. You have Mm -hmm. the shift in the the sort of traditional like gatekeepers of distribution. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a time where everything was on like video, VHS or DVD, and like that resource was really held Mm -hmm. with people who were able to afford it. Mm -hmm. I mean, traditionally, like what heterosis white males was the target audience and so like everything was kind of filtered and like creating content for that audience mm-hmm. everything else everybody else tended to be like an afterthought in terms of like how that population they thought was the audience it needed to be was going to consume content and I know that you're you're seeing traditional kind of porn industry kind of like struggle with that like we're wrong in a lot of ways and we need to make a lot more content that serves a lot more people mm-hmm. those performers who have been kind of outcast from that traditional model being like yeah there are people who want to see you know those things that you were talking about like people who look like me Mm -hmm. the sex that i enjoy personally the sort of dynamic the narratives or or styles um that resonate and don't make me feel left out don't make me feel like you know there are no options for me Mm -hmm. when that door is closed for a lot of people it's really really hard to kind of like open that back up and consider that hey things might have changed hey we want things to change as well. 
A brief history of the evolution of pornography. This is based on my research and if a lovely human listening has additional information or is well versed on the topic, please reach out to the podcast. All information to contact us is in the show notes. Erotica and pornographic material have been around the seven arts for centuries. From literature, sculpture, paintings, pictures, scenic arts to music. What about motion pictures? Well, let's explore this. Cinematographic images are something that dates from the early 1900s. The first softcore representation of an erotic film was Coucher de la Marie that dates around 1896. More air quotes, hardcore, or one would say explicit depiction of sexuality, dates from between 1907 and 1912, mentions the Kinsey Institute. It is an Argentinian film named El Satario. Meanwhile, softly around the same time in France, in 1908, a Super 8 movie called A l'Ecu d'Or, or La Bonne Auberge, came out. These films were referred to as stag films and were available for private viewing only, as pornography wasn't really legal at that time. Fast forward to 1969, Denmark was the first country to legalize the sale of pornography. And this had a huge impact on the North American adult film industry. The scene entered the golden era of porn, or porno chic era. Movies and productions were mainly done in studios as specific equipment and crew members were needed to produce a film. Then comes the 1980s with the VHS era. Slowly, the democratization of recording gear began with lighter equipment, home cameras, so you fast track to the DVD era, then the photo slash video camera, cell phones, and now DSLR cameras. This had a huge impact on the adult industry as they no longer had slash have the monopoly on X-rated movies. This brings us to today. The access to resources allowed people of all genders, ethnicities, sexual orientation, and kinks to be represented in a way that resonates with them, their community, and that they enjoy. Porn is no longer limited and subjugated to the male gaze, the male experience, desires, and is no longer solely portrayed in a stereotypical way. The greater representation of diversity in humans and pleasure is accessible online, and this ties to what I was saying earlier. I personally enjoy content on OnlyFans because it is where I find a depiction of what I enjoy in a non-stereotypical way, and it looks like the sex that I'm having and the one that I want to have. Though, the following question remains. What is ethical porn? There's only a certain amount of like ethicalness you can have under capitalism, just in general, right? It's like if that's our, our baseline. Right. Communication and transparency. Do people know what they're going to be doing in a way that they can make the choices that are best for them, right? Mm -hmm. People can make these choices and feel good about accepting work and also I think turning down work as well. Um, that people feel that they're like a valued part of whatever sort of collaboration or rather sort of whatever sort of product that they're going to be, you know, putting their efforts into right. that they understand how a product is going to be put out to a consumer and all of the different ways that that is going to be monetized by you know all of the participants so they can kind of 
decide to like renegotiate if they need to to find a better deal that works for them or to say like hey like this is not going to work for me thanks for thinking of me but you know I'm going to find something else, mm-hmm. right? This kind of comes down to just kind of like the labor environment right. before you even get to a set. Mm-hmm. Ethical porn, feminist porn does a way, way, way better job about transparency. And I think that needs to happen across the board. Transparency needs to happen across the board. You have a lot of people who assume like this company's content looks extreme or this company's content looks like the same things that we've always seen. But there's a lot of different ways that a company can be ethical or not ethical that are invisible to the consumer, right? Like a company may put out a product that has a certain aesthetic, has a certain like high production value, but like maybe they don't play their office employees well, or, you know, they fail to pay their producers like on time. Mm -hmm. Are people being compensated fairly for like the amount of time? Do they know how much time they're going to be spending that day so they can, you know, plan their life events like around that? Do they know all that's going going to be like expected of them have they signed off on all of those things you know have they had a space to really communicate with the the people that they're going to be intimately involved with Mm -hmm. about the things that they're going to do and do they feel good about that oftentimes when we talk about ethical versus unethical we are largely talking about the The performers in front of the camera and i think that there's a lot of ways in which that is Mm -hmm. and in my experience adult film performers have been treated in terms of you're highly replaceable you know we can just find somebody else or like, oh, you're difficult if you don't want a certain type of language or you don't feel like you're wanting to do a certain act. This person doesn't. Why can't you do it? Sort of like mentality, which makes the people involved feel highly replaceable less valuable, demotivated. You know, I, t- I talked about like, you know, what should happen kind of like before and what should happen like mm-hmm. while someone is like on set making the product. But I also feel that a thing that we talk about like so little in this industry is like how that product is like put out into the world and whether it's traditional studio mm-hmm. company that's making this or whether it's two content creators getting together to collaborate on something, having that conversation, that understanding of like how the company brands things, that you're okay with that. The company understands like how you want to be represented. And, you know, there's a choice of terms or a choice to like Photoshop someone's body in a way that like makes that person feel like, well, this doesn't really represent myself. And for a long time, and it still happens, like you would find out what the title of a scene or the title of a DVD was Mm -hmm. after you've been to set and being a person of color and like finding out how things were, were named or marketed. The consumer most of the time doesn't have an understanding of like who at that company named that. And I know a number of performers of color have been in a situation where a scene comes out, it has words or phrases that we wouldn't, Mm -hmm. we would never use ourselves or we know would offend communities or, and we have to kind of brunt the ire of those communities as the the face of that scene. That's gone on for a really long time. Did they do that just for sale? I think oftentimes it's for sale. There's def- there's definitely like I I know like me personally like I don't like using the term BBC for like my content, mm. you know, and that's something that I've mm-hmm. come to like realize over the course of my career. So there were times where I was like, okay with it. And then the more I kind of thought about it and the more that I felt like, all right, well, this doesn't really kind of resonate with me and like my brand where I want to like how I want to exist. I'm not mad at other people for using it. I do see like how these certain kind of like tag terms, like create mm-hmm. traffic and SEO. And I, I do think that that is a very old and antiquated system that 
favors those traditional means of production and is largely created by that traditional audience that a lot of people are no longer seeking to serve. Right. You know, I have trouble with the term ethical porn, and I much prefer ethically produced porn. And I know a lot of companies, even companies that I've worked for, like use the term, we are ethical porn. I feel sometimes that that feels a little bit of a marketing term. And I also kind of feel like it doesn't understand the sort of like active and ongoing like you know we have the conversation about like consent having to be like active and like kind of like ongoing Mm -hmm. continuous yeah i think ethical production needs to be the same way and there have definitely been cases where like everybody's going to make mistakes Mm -hmm. these are businesses that are at the end of the day need to make a bottom line to at least continue to do the work they're doing. And so it's important to kind of recognize that like accidents and mistakes and like boundary violations can happen on any set. I see a lot of companies that, you know, market themselves as ethical porn or as feminist porn make the clear distinction for, you know, we're doing something different. And I see a reaction to what is thought as this mainstream porn is like, oh, you're excluding us as like, we can never be better, we can never change. Or often when we're talking about adult content in general, there tends to be a lack of like nuance and wanting to kind of clarify. Like we want to take the most, you know, salacious parts of it and use that as a, um, here's where we're going to have the judgment on whether this is like valuable or not. And we, and I think we bring that into our own industry as well. You've opened my mind to so much now because I was a part of people who thought ethical porn has to do with performers, but I haven't thought about just the marketing and if photoshopping someone's body is ethical or not, their representation. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a wonderful thing happening right now where there's so many more conversations about it, at least with it that I'm seeing within the industry and I'm seeing more and more companies you know, talk about how they want to either, you know, continue producing ethically or to kind of change practice or to, you know, take accountability. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the side benefits of this sort of pandemic time where things kind of slowed, you know, were halted. A lot of people are seeing in a lot of different industries is that this constant pace and this constant production schedule in the case of the adult industry to keep this sort of machine going oftentimes means not taking a look at how the machine is working and having a space where we kind of like shut down the machine for a little bit and people are like what kind of work do i want to go back to a lot of people have been able to kind of take a look and say like hey actually you know what this doesn't work for me and i might go back to this or like there's parts of this that i want to continue and there's parts of this that i won't stand for anymore and we saw that definitely in the adult industry and And definitely, you know, the rise of how many people have kind of focused on like, all right, well, I'm the platform now. I can be on OnlyFans. I can be dictate like my working conditions. And, you know, I think there, I think there's like really amazing stuff coming out of that. I still think that there's a lot of things to be worked out. I still think that there's a lot of, um, what would be those things that needs to be worked out? I think there's a lot of like awareness and resource like issues in terms of you have people who are coming into the adult industry who are unfamiliar with kind of the legal aspects of kind of like having the responsibility of being a producer. Right. You know, some of the kind of record keeping requirements, mm-hmm. mostly mostly administrative stuff. But I think there's a high potential for 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 safety issues. And, I, and I've, I've kind of seen stuff like that happen with the sort of cash of 
not being on an onset environment where it's not regulated i think ideas about like professionalism um i think oftentimes with sort of content trade content like this sort of like communication and disclosure about like you're coming to my house but like my partner might be there or yeah i like to like smoke and drink before performing this sort of like disclosure about like the conditions in which people will be working in i think is going to vary from person to person and I think when you're not in those sort of situations on a like regular professional level, that information doesn't get passed on to people. That information about like, oh, you need to make sure that you get, you know, everybody's IDs and those IDs are like up to date and that you're getting like model releases, you know, that you're like creating um environment where people feel safe, that like you're clear about like where your content is going to be, you know, distributed. I- I've seen a lot of people have the realization of where those differences are after something has happened, after a situation where they feel uncomfortable, after something has been put on to a platform and the copy that they use to describe a scene upsets them. Or, you know, I've made this this mistake before of like the clarity about like what platforms people are okay with content existing on and what do you do when like someone steals content, right? A lot of people have very different feelings about how you, you know, address that, whether it's futile to kind of like chase down these sort of like copyright infringement issues or whether someone might see that as like, well, that's like free publicity. It's going to come back to me eventually, you know, getting that information out, making sure that people know where to go to resources and can like ask questions. There's oftentimes this sort of gatekeeping and this sort of like disconnect of like, who do I go for like accurate, valuable information and resources um, that is not just an assumption. Let's revisit the question asked at the very beginning of this episode. Does your definition of ethically produced porn align with what you've learned thus far? Did your definition encompass the performers and the production team? Well, during my research, I noticed that some porn sites that claim ethical productions have sort of a manifesto. So it's an about page where you can learn more about how they operate, their process, and their values. So I would encourage you to look for that on the websites where you like to consume your X-rated content. That being said, let's get back to the episode. I think it's fair for us to say that pornography has historically been centered around the male gaze and also male orgasms. Have that had an impact on your personal intimacy? Yeah, this is a good question. Everything being so like male orgasm focused and being in an environment where how you might get paid or the length of time at which people are like waiting on you in order to like capture the shot, that sort of pressure, having personal experiences where like Mm -hmm. there's no expectation of pressure in that same sort of way. Also, in, in terms of like on the negative end, having your body be like the product that you're like selling and seeing so many people's interpretations of how that product is selling, like an angle that a photographer chooses where you're just like, oh, do I look like that? Or being put on like the back of a box cover next to like someone who is has like a different like body shape, like muscle dysmorphia is something that like a lot of men suffer from of like, like I'm, I'm 42 and 
and having to just be like, I can't compare myself to a 23 year old who is just body and metabolism and is in a very different place mm-hmm. and getting more comfortable with myself. But I think those are, those are some of the ways that like I have kind of like struggled in terms of like my self-esteem in terms of like what sort of things like make me feel where I'm feeling myself. You know, that's been a part of that, that journey for me. I've heard a lot lately by doing some reading and also attending workshops, people talking about decentering orgasm from sex and having pleasurable experiences, intimate moments without necessarily, you know, the grand finale. Mm-hmm. So would you say you've decentered orgasm from sex in your personal life? Yeah, I think in a, in a lot of ways I have, right? I think it's the difference between like going to a steakhouse and going to a buffet. You're like, you go to a steakhouse, like, you know, you want to get a steak. That's the experience is to have that steak, right? And then what if somebody, if you, that was all that you knew was like steakhouses and somebody's like, you need to check out this buffet. I love this analogy. I love food. So I'm, I'm always going to throw like a food analogy <laughs> in there. Um, there are all these different things and you could just maybe just look at the steak there get close to the steak, but not put it on your plate. And you know what? Next time you come back, you can get the steak. Mm. That could also be just as hot. And I think that buffet metaphor was something that a, a friend of mine mm-hmm. would use often in terms of talking about like BDSM of like oftentimes people's perception of like it's this and it's that and it being such a kind of very narrow focus. But like here's like the buffet of mm-hmm. like your body is more than your genitals. Are we really going to restrict pleasure to like just this one area when like your brain is the most powerful like pleasure center, right? Like your senses and even like erotic of the excitement of life and really kind of like owning that I think comes to like the full experiences of like your senses and like being more responsive to like phone sex is something that I've like always like enjoyed because there is that sort of like imagination and that doesn't always have to be Mm -hmm. it's not always centered around orgasm but it's centered around like imagination it's centered around anticipation it's centered around like physical distance you know the orgasm could be like the cherry on the whipped cream but like You've got the whole Sunday underneath that. Focusing on a journey can be much more pleasurable than just achieving the destination. Would you have any questions for the audience? Yeah, I'm curious to know like what people think is hot. And I also, I think, really want to know like where kind of conversations people are having with the other people in their lives about what they want to see from like adult entertainment. That I think is something that is like a question I have for the audience. I think one of the things that is missing is that sort of critical critique of content in a way that is constructive for the people who are producing the content. I'm, I've been always so appreciative for like any fan that's like mm-hmm. kind of, you know, written to me and it's like, hey, I wonder if you have scenes like this or like, I really love this and I want to see more of it. Or how come like I never see you in this scene that you did a long time ago? That sort of like feedback loop of like how that product can be better, how that can better like reach out. Where are people having this sort of conversations? Like how can like, you know, performers and companies be better at participating in those sort of conversations with the consumer? Thank you, Mickey, for being on the podcast. You can give him a follow at the Mickey Mod across socials. So that is the Mickey Mod on Instagram, Twitter, and OnlyFans. Stay tuned because I'll let you know how you can check if the porn you're watching is ethical or not. But before that, what were your key takeaways today? Mines are first 
ethical work is beyond the performance aspect. And by that, I mean, it extends to the production crew, the distribution, where the product is sold, and all the information around how the product will be marketed as, you know, adult performance faces and their bodies are the product. So you kind of want to know the branding of it and if it fits with your image. Second, the impact porn has had on Mickey in regards to intimacy and confidence. We may have a false illusion that people have unshakable confidence and a filteresque life because we see them on screen. I know I have that with Instagram. And finally, feedback. You know, at the end of the day, adult content is content. Sex work is work. And you also want to have the ability to improve your work and, you know, do what you love in a way that also is relevant and appreciated by the people who support you, the people who love your content, the audience. Speaking of feedback and audience, <laughs> you know exactly where I'm going with this. And this was a really clever segue. Thank you, Yancy. Take a moment and go on wherever you listen to your podcast and rate the podcast that's exciting however you feel about it if you feel like the podcast is five stars let me know if you feel like the podcast needs improvement also let me know and i would encourage you to leave a review because i do read the reviews this podcast is as much your project as it is mine because i wouldn't be able to do this without you listening and these conversations would not be possible without you so just take a little moment of your day and uh, and read the podcast. And now for those listening that are like, but Yancy, I don't know if I'm watching ethically produced porn. How do I know? Well, listen up. I'll be referring to an article from Alex Shea on Mind Body Green and everything is going to be listed in the show notes as usual. Also, the article includes a list of sites that you can check. So that's always fun. The key things are one, ethically produced porn is usually not free. As it's written, there are some exceptions to this, but in general, there's usually a cost involved to view ethical porn films to make sure performers and filmmakers are fairly paid. The money is used to pay everyone included in the process and to ensure that a film is created in a safe space. Second, it shows diversity across body sizes, race, sexuality, age, and ability. As written, mainstream porn tends to forget about the way the rest of the world looks, the fluidity of sexuality, and the fact that every age group has sex. But ethical porn platforms aim to feature people from all walks of life. The more inclusive, the better. After all, it's nice to see someone who looks like us in the erotic film we're watching. And lastly, as I mentioned today, there's usually a manifesto and about page where you can learn more about the process, the values, and the company's mission itself. So there you go. Voila. These are some indicators to know that you're watching ethically produced porn. On this note, feel free to engage with us on social media at That's Exciting on Instagram and at That's Exciting underscore on Twitter. And I will tell you until next week and stay curious because that's exciting. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah.
before we leave on production team recording editing and sound design by yours truly myself Yancy. special thanks to Jane P for her assistance on production the official that's exciting anthem by Calder Nash the amazing vocals on the track by Mel Pacifico that's all for today's episode and until next week stay curious because that's exciting Baby, come and me. oh I-